What is up, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out. Matt is here live in the studio today for the intro. Woo! What's up, Matt? A little upset that my Super Bowl is over, but uh, I'm still excited. But at least you guys won it. Yeah. It seemed like a pretty good haul. Yeah. So Matt's here. We're going to talk about the NFL draft, a little recap today, go over some of our favorite classes and a couple of thoughts that we had and lessons that we learned from the NFL draft. So uh, something we looked forward to for a month and it feels like it goes by too fast every time, but is excited to talk about it today. So let's go. So a little something different to start the podcast today. I would like to start with a poetry reading. <laughs> uh, this is a very famous poem from the poet laureate in residence of Atlanta, Tahid K. Epps, uh, from one of his seminal works that you may recognize. <clears throat> I have a lust for the cream. I need a money machine. I need a money machine. I need a money machine. <laughs> that is right, ladies and gentlemen, just like the great rapper Two Chains, Matt and I need a money machine because we cashed out during the NFL draft. Uh, thanks in large part to Trent Balky, in fact, taking Trayvon Walker first overall uh, and Aiden Hutchinson going second. So we cashed all those, hit our over on defensive players taken in the first round. Did you know it got to a point where we needed nine of the last 10 picks in the first round to be defenders to hit the over on that? And everybody took a defender except for the Patriots who went offensive line. <laughs> so we hit it. And then the uh, over under on DBs, thanks to Dexton Hill and Lewis Seen going with the last couple of picks there. So, yeah, uh, Elam a little bit earlier too. Yep, and Elam and a couple other guys. So uh, 150% ROI on our bets. We had a couple that didn't come through, first tackle, first wide receiver off the board, as well as the long shot bets. But uh, overall, I think a very successful draft from a gambling perspective for us. For sure. And that was a quote from Two Chains. Song is <laughs> not actually a poet laureate in residence of Atlanta, just one of my all-time favorite rappers in Two Chains. So... <laughs> I had to get it in there. We had the housekeeping to do because we usually do good during the big events. I think the bets, we were like six and three, um, I guess six and two. And then the two long shots didn't hit. So I guess you could call it six and four, but yeah. the long shots were kind of a joke. Uh, I felt like the odds on Carson Strong not getting drafted at all were probably just as good as the odds of him going as the first overall quarterback. Probably. Like kind of a weird thing that I wish we could have bet on. We could have taken both sides of the coin. Right. And I mean, that I think is more of a representation of the NFL being wary of his knee situation. Yeah, I like him. I like him even more as an undrafted free agent. Like I like having Carson Strong as yeah. an undrafted free agent more than I like having Kenny Pickett with a first. I, I would say if Jalen Hurst does not have a good year, he's his seat's going to be pretty warm next offseason. It'll be interesting. But I guess let's start with the pick that was the big money maker for us. And that is Trayvon Walker going first overall to the Jaguars, letting Hutchinson drop to second, 
I knew this was coming forever ago. I didn't know that it was going to be Walker until about two weeks before the draft, but I just never thought that the Jags were going to make the sound smart decision in the draft and go with Hutchinson. Uh, And they go with a guy who's kind of unproven athletic freak who can play all over the front seven of the defense. But I don't know. What was your impression? What was your reaction when Walker actually ended up going first overall? I mean, it's classic Trent Balky. You look at his draft history. That's like the type of player that he's always drafted. Uh, I was super excited because that meant that I was getting the number one player on my board. So uh, I wasn't upset about that at all. But I think they, I don't want to say they're going to regret it because I have no idea like what level of ability he's going to end up reaching. Trayvon Walker, I think he's going to end up carving out at the very least a solid NFL career. He's a very sound football player. He was actually a big reason why a lot of other guys on that Georgia defense was able to produce the way that they did. Some of his production was not lack of production, I should say, was less so his lack of ability and more so just the structure of how they run that defense. But I think it's pretty clear that Aiden Hutchinson was the best player in this draft. Yeah, with Walker, I just it's it's the variance band thing that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks here is that he has maybe a higher ceiling than almost any other player in this draft, but also has a much lower floor than guys like Aiden Hutchinson or Evan Neal or someone who might have been a safer pick. Yeah, I mean, I, if he doesn't hit, then he's like Trey Flowers, which again, like it doesn't hurt you to have Trey Flowers, but are you drafting Trey Flowers number one overall in the draft? No, you're not. <laughs> well, it's a question of opportunity cost too. It's like if you take Trey Flowers first overall in the draft and you pass up on, you know, whoever some of these other guys are going to be, it's a tough look. And yeah, it's just very Trent bulky to go traits over substance, I guess. Yeah. It's, the, it's like we said with the Jags, it's just sizzle over meat. It's what they do down there. Yeah. I also just think like, I, I mentioned this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think Aiden Hutchinson is selling jerseys and getting a lot of buzz down in Jacksonville, Florida. I think in Detroit, he'll absolutely, he'll carry the day Yeah, because he's a local kid. And I think in a lot of other places with bigger fan bases, and I'm not like, I'm not trying to insult Jag fans, but just like maybe a little bit more, like a little smarter fan bases that they would understand that like, oh yeah, he's like, a big draw and he's a really good player and he's going to be really good for us right away. And it's something to be excited about, but I just kind of feel like down there, they don't care about Michigan football up here and they don't know, they wouldn't really know who he is for the most part. So having someone that's like a local ish kid just from up the road in Athens, Georgia might be a little bit more exciting to kind of casual members of the Jaguars fan base. Like not the kids on Reddit. I know the people on Reddit are all pissed off. Uh, and they'll be mad at me for insulting the fan base as a whole. But I mean, like just the casual fans of your fan base, yeah, which is the majority of any fan base, right? Maybe more excited that they're like, oh man, we got 
the number one player in the draft from Georgia, the defense that was just one of the best college defenses we've ever seen like that. It creates a little bit more buzz for your franchise, but it's the wrong way to build a team. Yeah. I could also argue though, that I think what's going to generate buzz more than anything else is how you, you know, market a player and everything that I have seen from Aiden Hutchinson is that, like his personality can be pretty infectious. I think if you utilize that to your advantage, you could very easily generate a lot of buzz with him in whatever city you are playing. Like, however, do I think that the Jacksonville franchise is the best franchise to actually take care of that? No, because they've not really taken care of anything particularly well. So yeah, Aiden Hutchinson, very easily like a face of the franchise type of guy. Yeah. Do you think that like some of the smaller market teams care about drafting locally? You know, I know they don't do it all the time, but do you think they prefer like drafting from local schools to kind of get that buzz going? Like you look at the Panthers, they took a Kwanu mm-hmm. at number six, which I'm not saying that any of these are even the wrong pick. No. Uh, I'm just saying like, so they have the choice between a Kwanu and Neil. Yeah. Do you think that like drafting locally is a tiebreaker at all for them? It could be. I also feel like drafting a Kwanu was probably a signal that they want to lean that offense more back towards Christian McCaffrey and less towards Sam Darnold. Um, a wise decision. <laughs> so, but uh, even besides the Panthers, though. Uh, Houston's first pick was uh, Keon Green, the guard from Texas A&M. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh's first pick was Kenny Pickett, quarterback from Pittsburgh. Like, I'm not saying that teams go out and do this just because the kids are local, but I do think it's kind of like a cool, like, oh, hey, look, we got like a local kid that you guys already know and love, and it gets fans excited from at the next level. So It, it could also be that they know those players better too. Just, you know, they're right in their backyard. They can, I mean, head coach, GM, they can literally drive on over. I guess if you're Pittsburgh too, you know that Kenny Pickett is comfortable playing in Pittsburgh because, and they play at Heinz Field, the Panthers do. Yeah. So, you know, he can play there, you know, he can kind of play in the elements, even though that's in question for some people. So, and you know, he can handle the town and the city and that he's comfortable there. So. For sure. So, I mean, aside from that pick, who are... I guess your favorite classes in this draft. I mean, there's some people did really well. Some people, some teams, not so much, but who is your personal favorite? So I'm not going to talk about the Lions here because we're going to talk about them later. Um, Did have a very good class coming to Detroit though. Yeah. I feel very strongly about that one. There's a couple that I really like. First, I want to uh, give props to Baltimore. Uh, They just, they got the best safety in the draft in Kyle Hamilton. They got Tyler Linderbaum, who we talked about uh, having the potential to be potentially very similar to Jason Kelsey, which I don't think anyone would complain about in Baltimore if that were the case. Yeah, uh, spoiler alert, he's on my favorite fits list. Travis Jones, a defensive tackle, 
uh, from Connecticut. I honestly wouldn't have been upset if I had seen him sneak into the very back of the first round. And That's they got him in the third round. Yeah, PFF had him between like 20 and 30. Yeah, yeah, he's very, very good. And they also managed to uh, snag David Ojabo, who like, yeah, he he had that injury, but if you're the Baltimore Ravens, like you can take that year where you just don't have him and let him rehab because you're a very stable franchise and you have the potential to get a first round talent pass rusher in the second round. I, you could argue that they might've been able to wait longer to take him, but I knew like as a Lions fan, there was no way we, we were going to get him to the third round because a team like Baltimore or Pittsburgh was going to feel comfortable enough with where their franchise is to be able to say, Hey, we don't need this guy to produce this year. Um, yeah. I'm and, happy for Ojabo too, to get drafted after what happened during his pro day. Like yeah, tearing yeah. your Achilles at a pro day is tragic, especially for a guy who was probably going to be a top 15, top 20 pick Yeah, before that sure. happened. So that's a, that's going to be a steal, I think. And, you know, yeah, you said it, he's not going to be ready this year. But next year and years beyond when he's yeah. recovered from that, that's going to be a nasty one too with yeah. the other pass rushers that they have on that line. Like that's – yeah. and Kyle Hamilton in the back. Like we're, we're starting to get back to like having a really good Ravens defense. Here. Yeah. Yeah. That's – I mean, if you're a Ravens fan, you you should be excited about that. Yeah. Um, but good for Ojabo too. Like yeah. I'm, I'm happy. It's a good situation for him to go into, like they'll take yeah. care of him over there. So, yeah. And if Bateman comes along a little bit more this year, when like, Bateman comes along more yeah. this year, actually for my sake, hopefully they don't keep Lamar Jackson happy <laughs> so that we can, the lines can trade for them in the off season. Do you think the Hollywood Brown train trade was weird? Oh yeah. While we're on the Ravens topic, he was pretty good last year. Yeah. No, I thought it was odd. I'm sure there was some financial reason for it. I thought it was one of those weird trades where nobody's happy about it because he was pretty good for them last year and he's still a young developing player, but like also the Cardinals still kind of overpaid for him. The Ravens fans are upset that they lost a receiver they didn't replace. And then the Cardinals fans are like, why did we spend so much money to get this guy? Like so much capital to get him in. But I do think that that's a good sign for Rashad Bateman, that they're comfortable with him moving forward and not having Hollywood Brown out there. Yeah, my my only concern about that is they didn't take a receiver in this draft and they took two more tight ends, which tells me that they are just really leaning back into that Greg Roman offense. And he's he's a maddening offensive coordinator for me because he is the single best offensive mind in, in terms of designing a running game in the NFL and yet he is also the absolute worst at designing a passing game he he just can't do it it is kind of amazing probably a lot of heavy sets up there in Baltimore yeah uh the other team that I really liked was the Bills in large part because they got a corner in the first round I like Elam he's He's got, I think, the right mentality to kind of be that alpha corner if uh, Trey White goes down again. 
Uh, hopefully he doesn't. He's a fantastic player. Anytime he's not on the field is a loss for everyone. I'm typically not huge on second round running backs, but like everyone and their mother knows that the Bills needed a running back uh, who's got some explosion and speed. And they got James Cook, who's a pretty damn good one. Um, and a nice pass catching back too. They yes. didn't really have that with uh, Singletary and no. Moss. Like those no. guys are kind of between the tackles runners. So like having James Cook who can run between yeah. the tackles and also catch the ball, pretty nice right. is a good addition. I mean, Khalil Shakir in the fifth round, I think was a really, really good get. Uh, so they got Josh Allen, another weapon outside. And typically I'm not gonna, you know, tip my cap to a team drafting a punter in the sixth round, but Matt Ariza is a rare talent at punter. And I mean, if you are in a situation where you're going back and forth with Mahomes, one of your best weapons is making him go 90 plus yards. Did you think it was weird that Ariza was like the fourth punter taken in the draft? It was like the sixth special teams player. There was like two kickers and like a bunch of punters. Yeah. Yeah, you touched on all of my favorite fits because Khalil Shakur is on my favorite fits as well. Yeah. Uh, my favorite classes, and I'm like, this draft hurt because you just talked about two teams who are historical rivals of the Patriots. Yep. Uh, I'm going to talk about another team that I don't love, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs had the draft I wanted the Patriots to have as a Patriots fan. If we would have done, like, we didn't have the capital that they had, yeah. but we could have had a couple of these guys. Um, And I think it's really easy to say that like the best draft classes are the ones that had the most capital, like the chiefs and the jets. But I liked how the chiefs use their capital that they did have. Yeah. So they trade up to 21 and get Trent McDuffie who the Patriots are just like their biggest need is corner. And they're just going to let the chiefs kind of have that pick. Uh, And then they still end up getting George Karloftis at the end of the first. So two like, guys who could have been considered like top 20, top 15 talents yeah. in this draft. Then they get Sky Moore, our guy out of Western Michigan. I-, I talked about the potential of Sky Moore going to the Chiefs on the podcast right. during our favorite prospects podcast and said that that's probably my favorite fit for him. I just, he's going to do damage Yeah. next year with, they have Valdez, Scantling and McCall Hardman on the outside. And then you're going to have Kelsey and Moore on the inside. Like, yeah, he's, he's going to be one of my fantasy football targets this season as a rookie wide receiver. Cause I think like, especially in PPR and half point PPR leagues, like I'll take sky more all day. And then even like later they take cook the safety out of uh, Cincinnati. Yeah. Really good safety. And then they end up getting Leo Chanel in the third round. Yeah. And he's just a physical monster. Like his measurables don't make sense. Yeah. So the Patriots couldn't have done what the chiefs did because we didn't have as much capital but if we came away with Trent McDuffie, Sky Moore, and Leo Chanel, I would have been doing cartwheels today. So to have those three guys, and then also Karloftis and Cook in the first three rounds, like yeah. that is a much needed injection of young talent into the Chiefs team that struggled on the defensive side of the ball. So, uh, so I like that for them. Did you have another team that you were going to do? Yeah, I got one more All real right. quick. I'll uh, do that real quick, and then I'm going to go the opposite direction. Okay, the Houston Texans. Uh, I like their draft. The pick of green, the guard at 15 was a little bit rich for me, but they desperately needed playmakers on both sides of the ball. And they draft Stingley 
at three who we can debate Stingley versus Sauce all day. Yeah. But Stingley's a good, he's a better fit for their system because they are a zone heavy system and Sauce projects as more of like a press man corner, which is from what I've heard, kind of why they went Stingley, which I mean, we could, and that's another thing, like we could debate whether that's the right move to make or whether you take the better guy and adjust your system. But I think Stingley can be very good. So they take Stingley, they take Green in the first round, which they're committing to like a power run game next season. Not a bad idea there with a young quarterback. Jalen Petrie in the second round, you guys heard us talk about him multiple times on the podcast. Just you want a playmaker for your defense, you got him. And if you can be creative with him and move him all over that defense, he can be lethal. And then Mechie to go along with Brandon Cooks. Uh, I like a lot. Mechie has like kind of like a slot number two receiver. Perfect fit with Cooks. Uh, as well as Pierce, the running back they took is going to be like a good power slash short yardage back. So just adding talent to the defensive side of the ball that they didn't have, and then kind of building on the offense around Davis Mills and kind of seeing what he can do next season before you commit to drafting a quarterback early next year. If you want to do that, I thought was a good combination of picks for them as well. Uh, And not surprising, Nick Casario, the GM over there, was the Patriots director of college scouting for a long time under Bill Belichick. And I, I thought he had a nice haul here. Someone had to do something productive over there since Jack Easterby wasn't going to do it. It's a good, I mean, to like <laughs> trade Watson and get like a good haul for Watson yeah, and then come back with a nice draft to yeah. start your rebuild off. Like a, I think a good off season for the he's Texans. Off, he's off to a good start. Yeah. He's smart. He's a smart dude. I liked him yeah. a lot. They actually, the Texans tried to hire him a couple of years ago and Bill Belichick blocked it. So I know I'm serious. Yeah. He blocked yeah. it because we didn't want to lose him. And then we ended up obviously losing him a couple of years yeah. later because the Texans came back for him. But there's a reason that Bill didn't want to let him go. And you, I think yeah. you're seeing it play out. For sure. I was looking at the players that the Minnesota Vikings drafted. And I was like, yeah, you know, like those, those are actually some pretty good players. But then I thought about how they got there. They traded back with a division rival in the first round. And then they traded back again with the Green Bay Packers. Both of those teams took very high upside receivers. And the Vikings spent their first two round picks on defensive backs. And yeah, they already needed defensive back help. Like, that's true. But you provided your primary competition with the opportunity to take the players that they wanted the most. And then you were forced into a situation where you had to take players to counteract the players that they acquired. And quite frankly, what the Lions gave up for how far they moved up was not nearly enough. The Minnesota Vikings got fleeced in this draft. And I mean, they need some of these guys to really hit big in order to overcome this, I think. I think the Lions kind of played everybody to get Jamison Williams. Yeah, I'm going to throw this out there to see if you agree with me. Do you think the Vikings traded back with the Lions thinking the Lions were moving up for Malik Willis? I think that is very possible. And kind of, they were like, well, we have a low grade on Malik Willis, so we're going to let the Lions do something stupid and trade up and take them high. Yeah. And then they take Jamison Williams, and the yeah. Vikings are like, oh, shit. 
I think that the Lions actually, we'll talk about the Lions in a little bit more depth later, but oh, yeah. I think they did a really good job of concealing their intentions for Jameis and Williams because yeah. you saw them trade up to, what was it, 13? It's like 12 or 13. Uh, yeah, it was 12. 12. Yeah. So they trade up to 12 to draft Jameis and Williams. And you see right when the Lions trade up, the Eagles traded up right behind them. Yeah. So the Eagles, I think, obviously were thinking the Lions are going quarterback and we're going to grab Jameis and Williams right here. Mm-hmm. And then the Lions take Jameis Williams, who's obviously yeah. the guy they wanted to go up and get, and an extremely good pick, in my opinion. Obviously, our favorite wide receiver in the draft. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not upset about it. No, it's hard to be mad. Uh, so I think they did a good job of concealing that from everybody, and I don't know if the Vikings make that trade with them if they know that the Lions are going up for Williams. Yeah, and it's funny. Which is dumb. Like, why would you do that in the first place? But uh, The Saints – and the Lions both trading up to get receivers there, like that triggered like a big run on receiver, which ended up screwing over Green Bay. And you heard Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show saying that he knew they had six wide receivers with first round grades and they were all gone. All uh, six taken before him. Yeah. It is really interesting how, the Lions played that and kind of screwed over some of their primary competitors. Yeah. Smart move by Holmes. It was interesting. He's been very savvy in his two years. Yep. What about uh, favorite fits for like player team fits? I, I got two real quick and really I'm, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one. I got two others besides this one. Uh, Sky Moore to the Chiefs that, you know, we talked about that being an opportunity. We just talked about it about 10 minutes ago. I think going to be a very, very good receiver for them right away in the slot and on the outside a little bit. The other picks I liked in the first round, uh, Linderbaum to Baltimore. You know, we mentioned earlier, super athletic, mobile center, kind of perfect for what they want to do there, especially with someone like J.K. Dobbins coming back. Like they're going to crank up that run game again next season. And having him is going to go a long way. Like we we talked about this on the mock draft episode with the guys from Certified Beef. He's Linderbaum is capable of getting to the second level of that defense and help open those running lanes for Lamar Jackson and for those running backs. So I like that move for them. And then also I mentioned earlier Khalil Shakur, the wide receiver from Boise State, going to the uh, the Bills. I liked him a lot. I had him ranked as wide receiver seven on my board. And there was a lot of guys taken in front of him uh, that I liked him more than he is going to be a really good slot receiver. And I picture that offense with Gabriel Davis and uh, Stefan Diggs on the outside and then Shakir over the middle. Like, I think, like you said, a really solid pickup for the Bills in the fifth round. I did. I posted a mock draft on our new website, fouledout.wordpress.com, where I had the Bills taking Sky Moore at 25 in the first round. Uh, obviously he ended up going way later than that, but my justification was that like, he's a great slot receiver and that's kind of what they could use with Cole Beasley kind of being insane and not being on that team for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And I think Sky Moore would have been a fantastic replacement for him, but uh, Shakir is going to do a really good job there as well. So first bit that I really love is uh, Daxton Hill going to Cincinnati. Fairly well known that Cincinnati kind of needed some help at cornerback. Yeah, Daxon Hill was kind of entering into this draft as seen more as a safety by a lot of fans. 
but we talked about this uh, in previous episodes that Daxon Hill in this draft is seen as a, a nickel corner is the best nickel in this draft. They've already got two really good safeties uh, that puts them in a position where they can play three safety sets. Uh, they can just throw him in there as a straight up nickelback if if they want. Um, it gives them a lot more flexibility in their defensive backfield. And with the onslaught of quarterbacks that you have to face in the AFC, you need every bit in your defensive backfield you can get. Uh, it's it's pretty rough. I was kind of hoping that's who the Pats were going to take at 29. Yeah. And then when we didn't, I was like, that's kind of a perfect pick for Cincinnati, and they pulled the trigger. I also just really, really love Garrett Wilson to the Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson had a rough rookie year. Part of that was his own fault, but I would say the majority of it was not his fault. (laughs) Terrible blocking, very shoddy offensive coordinator work, had a lot of points throughout the year, just an underwhelming wide receiver core. Uh, And we talked about how I feel like he is maybe a somewhat faster version of Keenan Allen. Uh, Last week, giving Zach Wilson someone who's going to create separation and just be a guy that he can go to consistently is going to make everything significantly easier for him. And it will probably make him more comfortable with just setting up hot routes when he's expecting pressure because that offensive line is probably not going to be very good this year either. But if you can get that ball out quick to Garrett Wilson, like Garrett Wilson can take a slant to the house. He's a special receiver. Yeah. His skills fit pretty good with Elijah Moore. Yeah. As well. So uh, a lot of people praising the Jets draft class. I've seen them like getting a pluses in a lot of places and don't get me wrong. Like their first round was incredible. To get Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, and then add Jermaine Johnson at 20. It's nice. The thing that bugged me is the Brees Hall pick, top of the second round. Bit of a luxury pick for a team that already has Michael Carter, who I thought had some really nice flashes last year. Yeah. Like I had Michael Carter on my fantasy team the entire year and near the end of the season, he had some big games. Yeah. I thought Brees Hall not necessary for them high in the second round. Uh, I think he could be very good for them. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but they have other pressing needs that I thought they could have used that pick on. I I would agree that it's probably a luxury pick and that they have more pressing needs. I will say, at the end of the day, it was their fourth pick in the draft, so I'm not gonna, you know, come down on them too hard for that. And it's very clear, like they want to just be the 49ers. Um, however, the 49ers generally don't draft running backs in the second round, except and if they just plan on not playing them at all. Uh, Trey Sermon's not good. I mean, all in all, though, <laughs> with the Jets, pretty solid cast of young studs around oh, yeah. Zach Wilson now. Like, think about the weapons they have. Yeah. Uh, Brees Hall, Michael Carter, Elijah Moore. Garrett Wilson, 
like Corey Davis is still there who I think can do some stuff outside of being the number one wide receiver. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the jets definitely got a lot better in this draft. And if, if Zach Wilson can take a step forward this season, Mm -hmm. who knows? Yeah. With the cast around him, like they they got to protect him, protect him a little bit and see what he can do. Also, just you mentioned the 49ers. I just wanted to ask you, did you think it was really weird they took a wide uh, running back in the third round? Yeah. It was just odd to me with all the guys they have there and like how good Elijah Mitchell was last season. Right. And they took they, another third round running back. Yeah, they took one last year and didn't play him. It's just that was kind of a confusing pick to me that stuck out on day two. So yeah, I I don't know what they're doing, honestly, at this point. It's, I mean, and you got Debo. It's it's a confusing process for me over there. Do they? I mean, they didn't trade him during the draft, right? So, assuming he's going to be back next year, unless you want to trade him for a bunch of future capital. So, once we got past pick 10, I was like, I don't think we're seeing a Debo trade. Because I thought yeah. that that 10th pick with the Jets would have had to be involved. So, uh, But let's go on to America's favorite segment that is back. For football recaps, we have not done this since, I think, week 18 of the regular season, and I wanted to bring it back for the draft podcast. Random thoughts from the NFL draft. One of my favorite segments. Random thought number one. The market for wide receivers is getting out of control. We talked about this on the Big Questions podcast that this offseason had already had a lot of spending, a lot of draft capital traded for wide receivers, a lot of huge contracts handed out. Well, it got worse during the draft. We mentioned the Cardinals traded a first round pick for Hollywood Brown. And then the Philadelphia Eagles also traded a first and a third for AJ Brown, yeah. wide receiver from Tennessee, and then promptly proceeded to give him a $100 million deal. Alongside that, six wide receivers were taken in the first round, and another seven were taken in the second round. There were 13 wide receivers taken in the top 54 picks of the draft. I put together a list of total capital that has been spent on wide receivers this offseason. Oh Are you ready for it? <laughs> Including the guys that were drafted. 10 first round picks, 10 second round picks, three thirds, three fourths, and over $600 million of contracts with 530 million of that going to extending five players. 141 for Adams, 120 for Hill, 104 for Diggs, 100 for Brown, and 72 for Kirk. <laughs> I had to throw Kirk in there because he got a $72 million deal. That's a lot of money, and it doesn't make sense why he has it. I mean, you saw it. You're seeing how important receiver is becoming to teams and how much of an advantage it is to have a Justin Jefferson on a rookie deal for five years or a Jamar Chase on a rookie deal for five years. And I think that's why we had that big run on receivers because once Drake London went off the board at eight, teams started panicking and you saw like the Saints traded up, the Lions traded up. We're like, we're all getting in line for receivers right now. Yeah. And then, like I mentioned, Philadelphia traded up, I think, in hopes of getting Jamison Williams. And then as soon as the Lions took them, they're like, okay, fuck this. We're going to get somebody. And they went and got A.J. Brown like four picks later. Yeah. So do you think we're just going to keep seeing this get out of control or do you think it's going to start? reeling itself in a little bit. I think within the next couple of years, we'll see it reeled in. There's just going to be, I think there's going to be a realization that 
when you are paying your quarterback 40 plus million a year, probably should it be regularly 50 plus million a year. It's going to be really hard to win consistently if you are paying your receiver 20, 25 plus million a year. Like you have to field a roster somewhere. And if that guy pulls a hammy and is out for four weeks, what are you doing? Like, that's a lot of money that's not doing anything. It's interesting. I think the teams with rookie quarterbacks, it makes it a little bit easier. So like if you're looking at like Miami, yeah. who just paid Tyreek Hill, you know, they're paying him $30 million a year. Yeah. The highest wide receiver contract ever in a per year thing. When you have like a Tyreek Hill and you're paying him that much and you're only paying two on a rookie deal, yeah. it's a little bit more manageable. Right. That but I look sense. at like teams like the Raiders who are paying Carr a decent amount and then giving Adams 28 million and teams like Buffalo who uh, we're going to look back a couple of years from now and Buffalo is going to be spending between 35 and 40% of their cap on two guys. Yeah. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. And I'm not saying those aren't two guys you want because they're very good, but we see this a lot with teams that spend high on quarterbacks. They have trouble fielding a good roster around them already. Yeah. So spending a ton on quarterback is spending a ton on receiver. Like, I think a lot of these teams that are making these moves this offseason are going to look back and regret it a couple of years yeah. from now. I, I will say Derek Carr could have gotten more money. He absolutely could have gotten more money and deserves more money. Uh, he did not get more money because he wants his team to win. That was a conscious choice on his part. But he's still getting paid like a decent amount. Oh, so like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Him and Adams together, plus Waller, that's going to take up like yeah. a lot of cap. And you're going to oh, have yeah. to let guys like Hunter Renfro yeah. go at some point because no, of that. They're, so. they're, if they don't get it done in this next couple of years, changes will be made. They're particularly interesting, too, because they have holes elsewhere. Yeah. And you're spending a lot of money to make this offense like elite. And I think it will be very good next season. but. Like, I'm worried about their defensive secondary. Like, they're going to be winning games 50 to yeah. 45, you know. Chandler Jones is going to have to produce. Max Crosby is going to have to produce. I mean, I think they're going to be a tough out next year for sure. I just don't think that they are a good enough roster to come out of that division or make the wild card and be a good enough wild card to go toe to toe with the best teams in the AFC. Yeah. So they're going to have a lot of flash, a lot of pizzazz, but it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of seasons, how these teams with huge wide receiver contracts do. Cause I like the guys. I like all the wide receivers yeah. who got the money, except for Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> I like Kirk just not for $72 million. Yeah. I like him for half that. Maybe not even, but uh, yeah. So it, that'll be interesting. Over like six years. Yeah, half that over six years, not 72 over three or four or whatever it is. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, random thought number two, what the fuck happened with the quarterbacks in this draft? We were told, like, it was really kind of reported that this was a weak quarterback class yeah. before we got into the draft evaluation. And I feel like the media... And the people who cover the draft and people who talk about it and mock and stuff like that got a little bit more into the idea that these quarterbacks could go higher. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it. We we're like, well, we don't think quarterbacks are going to go before 20, but 
we could still see like two or three in the first round, like in the late twenties. And some of these guys go, Kenny Pickett went in the first, and then we didn't see another quarterback go until the third, which is the first time that's happened since like 2000 or 2001. Did we just not listen? Like, was the quarterback class really that bad? Or do you think there's something else going on here? I think what we're seeing is risk aversion here. Kenny Pickett, we know, is going to be able to come into the NFL and play competent football. And that's why the Steelers took him, despite the fact that, you know, at the Senior Bowl, Mike Tomlin could not keep his hands off him. Like, he was making googly eyes at him the entire time. We look at some of these teams, uh, Carolina for one, like they just made a relatively big mistake on a quarterback. And you've got Malik Willis, who is very raw, and any reasonable supporter of Malik Willis is telling you he needs at least a year, potentially two, to be ready to like play high-quality quarterback in the NFL. That's not really the best situation for the front office of Carolina to take a risk because they already are on a hot seat. Like That is probably one of the hottest seats in the NFL right now. Uh, Pete Carroll should have a pretty hot seat because of, it sounds like a big part of the reason that Russell Wilson isn't there is him. So can he really afford to take a risk on a quarterback right now? Uh, also, I kind of lost it when they took Kenneth Walker. Yeah. I just thought that was hysterical. I Very mean, that's, Seahawks that's, pick. That's what they do. Yeah. Uh, For whatever reason, the Giants are just like ultra committed to Daniel Jones. Don't understand it, but they are. So Malik Willis ends up in Tennessee, which I think is a great position for him. And I think in two years, he's going to be playing pretty good football with the Titans. And they're probably going to have more receiving talent around him there. And I that you think he ends up making a lot of people look dumb. Um, Matt Corral coming off of a busted leg. Uh, Carson Strong also with like a weird knee injury that maybe a lot of medical staff aren't super comfortable with. Uh, what I have read up on it didn't sound like it was necessarily like a huge risk long-term, but I mean, we're talking about people who will lose their jobs if they take a swing on these guys in the first round and miss. I don't think this is a representation of what the NFL thinks these guys' potential is because they see the same big arms that we see. But, you know, we as fans, like – if we're wrong, like we feel kind of dumb, but that's that's like the end of it. That, there's no negative consequences. As a GM, you might only get one shot. <laughs> if you get fired for picking a bad quarterback, you may never get a shot again. 
I just think about how careful we would be with the takes on this podcast if we were going to get fired yeah. over it. Like I'm waiting for the day my boss comes in and goes, Fowler, did you seriously think Drake London wasn't one of the top wide receivers in the draft? Get out of here. You are fired. Pack up your stuff. Yeah, I'm going to say that to you about week eight. This, but this is like how – I don't think you will because I think his situation is bad. Uh, I mean – Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter throwing him the ball. I, mean, I, I know think, there's nobody else to get targets down there, but that's uh, I think not the best. I think Mariota is going to play better than people remember. He was not always bad. He got off to a pretty good start and then, like, you know, couldn't stay healthy and, you know, things kind of went down from there. But it, I could see him having a little bit of a bounce back. Yeah, but it's and I I like the the compliment of having him and Kyle Pitts together because they're very similar, like athletically and size wise. And what team has defenders that can match up with two of that? Yeah, it's fair. I mean, we're gonna have to see how it goes in Atlanta, but the point stands like maybe I'd be a little bit more careful with some of those takes if right. I was gonna like literally sure. lose my job over them. So I, I get it. I understand the risk aversion. Uh, do you, would you rather like, I guess two quarterback questions for you. I kind of would rather have Carson strong as an undrafted free agent than spending like a premium pick on a lot of these guys. Like I like yeah. strong, uh, but maybe yeah. the knee is worse than we think it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't have enough information to really judge where the knee is at, obviously, uh, but with what little information I do have, I would rather have Carson Strong undrafted than I would Desmond Ritter in the second round or Kenny Pickett in the first round. And I really like Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Like, I mean, I Ritter, just, Ritter's my top guy on my board, and they got him in the third, but I don't like him as much in the third as I like Carson Strong undrafted. Like, um, top of my board for quarterbacks, not top of the draft. But, yeah, the, I guess the other thing, do you think Pittsburgh feels stupid for taking Pickett so early? Like, obviously, do you think it's, like, obviously no one else wanted a quarterback? Or do you think, like, Pickett still would have gotten taken in, like, the first or second? Like, was the NFL just higher on Pickett than the other guys? Oh, I think the NFL was definitely higher on Pickett because Pickett isn't going to lose you your job, especially at pick 20. Yeah. I was trying to explain the Malik Willis thing to my wife yesterday, (laughs) that it was kind of crazy. He fell to the third round, and I was saying, like, think of it this way. He has... Maybe in like in the, we can debate the percentages. It may not be fair, but like say he has like a eighty percent chance to be a bust and a twenty percent chance to be a hit. But if he hits, he's gonna hit big. Yeah, like you're basically it's like being at a blackjack table. I I wouldn't even put it that way with him. I would say he's got at least like a 50-50 shot with the way I evaluate him of of hitting and hitting big but he's probably not going to hit until year three. A lot of coaches nowadays aren't even getting three years. As a coach, are you you going to endorse that pick? Who knows? But yeah, like with Willis though, I see it as, like I said, like more of like, there's probably a bigger chance that he doesn't hit as big, but there is a chance he hits big. The thing with Pickett is like, I think there's a smaller chance that he's a bust, Yeah. but like, you know, it's maybe like, 10% 10% chance he's a complete and utter bust. Yeah. 80% chance that he's good quarterback. Right. 10% chance he's a great quarterback. Yeah. 
So while he may have the same chance as Amalek Willis or Matt Corral to be really great, he's much safer. For sure. Like you said, so I can see that. Uh, random thought number three, the way that we consume draft content and judge draft picks is wrong as a whole. Not necessarily you and me as much as just people in general is what I mean. We read a lot of mocks as a community, people who are into the draft and people who are into the NFL. You look at a lot of mock drafts. You look at a lot of big boards. You look at what the quote unquote experts are saying, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay and people who don't know their ass from their elbow when it comes to anything. And you get this like perception of who should be a first round pick and who should not and who like what the quote unquote value of players is. Yeah. And where they should go in the draft from these people who, you know, at least with ESPN's case, have absolutely no idea what they're talking about, in my opinion. And I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a sec. But so we get this like preconceived notion of where guys should go. And then just because picks are made in the first couple rounds of the draft that don't fit into our mocks and don't fit into like our preconceived notions of where guys should go, we start tearing stuff apart. Everybody's freaking out that Malik Willis fell to the third round, right? On draft day, ESPN's like, this is unbelievable. There, We had a less than 1% chance that he would still be here. But obviously the NFL feels very differently about these guys than we do. Yeah. And it could be risk aversion. It could be that they grade them differently. Yeah. But... I don't think that we should be trashing draft classes or trashing where players were picked based on what someone like Mel Kuyper thinks or like Walter football or like even the mock that we did last week. Like we don't know and no one really knows how these players are graded within front offices. Yeah. Front offices that we look at and go like, that was dumb. Why did they do that? Maybe coming away being like, oh my God, we got our guys. We're like ready to go. This was an A plus draft for us. And other front offices may be disappointed with their halls that we're excited about. Yeah, before we started recording, we talked about Kyle Vinoy. Drafted with the Lions, had no production because he didn't fit with the defense they were running. And when they drafted him, they didn't really think about how they were going to use him. Goes to New England, and he's a very productive player. Like, it's so easy for us to say, like, okay, well, like, this guy's talented, this He's, he's really good, like he should go here. But if he's not going to fit with the teams that are drafting there, then that doesn't fucking matter. Like, he's going to suck there, so why should he go there? And it is, like, more about fit. And it's, like, fit, form, and functionality. Like, if, we were just talking about Stingley versus Sauce earlier. Yeah. We may look at that. And say, well, I had Sauce as the number one corner on my board, so that was a stupid pick by the Texans. Stingley may or may not work out for the Texans, but like, so Sauce could go to the Jets and be an incredible corner, but maybe he wouldn't have been if he went to the Texans because they're not running the same system. They're not putting him in the same situations. So the way that guys fit matters. The way that they're going to be deployed matters. Yeah. You know, it's not just, Oh, Evan Neal was the top tackle on my board and the Panthers took a Quanu first. So that's a bad pick because they should have taken Neal. But that's how we react to this stuff, especially with, uh, you know, I'll share my story about my community, the Patriots community, flipped out about the Cole Strange pick mm-hmm. at 29 because ESPN showed a graphic that said that there was a 93% chance he would have been there at 54 We saw that I, I tweeted the graphic about the quarterback saying, 
that there was a less than 1% chance Malik Willis will be there in the third, a less than 2% chance on Corral and a less than ESPN does not know what they're talking about. So the fact that you would see a graphic on ESPN that says that ESPN thinks that Cole Strange will be there at 54 does not mean shit to me. Like miss me with Mel Kuyper's takes about Cole Strange because I don't give a shit what he thinks. And I'm not saying that like Cole Strange is a good or a bad pick. Just saying like in general, you do not know what the Patriots board looks like. You don't know what the Bengals board looks like. The Bengals need offensive line help. They may have been shooting for Cole Strange. The Patriots obviously thought someone would take him before 54. They had intel that is much better than what Todd McShay is making his big board with and what ESPN is projecting their stupid little graphics with. And I, I would trust most NFL front offices to know better than we would what the positional values of these guys is. When the Lions drafted Frank Ragnow, like most Lions fans were shocked. They were not expecting that pick. We were like, why are we picking a center of the survey? And then the very next pick was the Cincinnati Bengals, who freaked out because Frank Ragnow wasn't there and picked Billy Turner, who wound up being a terrible center. You don't know how this stuff is going to play out. Well, we also know in retrospect from that draft that the Patriots were going to take Frank Ragnar yeah. if he was there a couple picks later. Yep. And they were also pissed because they didn't think the Lions would take him. So you don't know how boards look. Yeah. Occasionally a Bob Quinn gets something right. Occasionally. Yeah, not solid very often. Solid pick. <laughs> also, like another example of like where a player ends up matters. We can look at Aaron Rodgers' mental state and say, like, would he really be successful if he played somewhere that's as tumultuous as Detroit? Probably not. I just think we go about this wrong, where guys are taken, like, in places we think they shouldn't be because we've been reading mock drafts from NFL.com, who, coincidentally, one of the NFL mock drafts had three quarterbacks in the first five picks. So you want to tell me these guys know what they're talking about? They do not. I don't think that there are very many experts out there who know what they're talking about. Like, you know, thinking about the Cole Strange thing again, is it what I would have done? No, but I'm not going to drag Bill Belichick for getting his guy. And you can say that about a lot of picks in the draft. Like I said that Keon Green was a little bit high for me at 15 because of how I personally evaluated him. Like if you're going out and you're doing like a personal evaluation of a guy and you think it's too high for him, I respect that opinion. I just hate the the graphic on ESPN told me that this guy would be there at the next pick, so it's a bad pick right? type of thing. It's the Mel Kuypers on TV saying, oh, I don't think that's a good pick. You know who Mel Kuyper thought was a good pick? Jamarcus Russell. Yep. You know who Mel Kuyper thought was a good pick? Jimmy Clausen. Mel Kuyper said on ESPN that if Jimmy Clausen did not hit as an NFL quarterback, that he would quit his job, but he's still fucking working. So I don't want to hear that ESPN said this or ESPN said that. I think that that's the wrong way to go about it. But speaking of Cole Strange and speaking of the Patriots, my favorite team, we saved this part for last. So uh, if you guys want to stay on and listen to Matt and I talk about our home teams and our favorite teams and get our biased opinions out there, you can. If you don't want to hear about the Patriots and Lions, turn it off now because we're going for it, baby. Uh, you want to go first for Homer Corner? Or you want me to go first? I'll let you go. I, you're already rolling on it. And we like to end on a high note. 
So yeah, let's end on a let's end on a positive. <laughs> I kind of already put my opinion about the Cole Strange pick out there. I will tell you from a very bi- a very biased fan perspective, uh, as someone who has two Patriots jerseys, four Red Sox hats, and Bruins clothes hanging up in the studio that we're recording in right now. When I saw that they took Cole Strange at the 29th pick, my stomach dropped. Uh, it was not what I would have done. But I don't disagree with what they did in principle. What did they do with their first couple picks? They protected their second-year quarterback by getting offensive line help. They added a speedy receiver to the outside. And they added speed to the outside of the defense by taking two corners in the third. I don't hate that. Is it the guys that I wanted? No, it wasn't. I I would have liked to have taken like Daxton Hill in the first. I wanted to take McDuffie at 21. I didn't want to trade back, but I knew it was coming. Uh, Devin Lloyd was still there, guys that I liked. I wanted to take Sky Moore in the second. If we were going to take a wide receiver, I would have liked to have had Sky Moore instead of Tyquan Thornton. But they they got their guys. They're happy with their haul. Um, So I'm not going to drag them for getting the guys that they wanted. The one pick that really drove me crazy with the Patriots was Bailey Zappi. That makes no sense to me. And my dad was over here watching that part of the draft with me yesterday. And my dad is usually the one who's like talking me off the ledge when I'm getting upset about sports stuff. And he's just, what the fuck? This is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. You know, so he was, he was mad about it. There was no talking him off the ledge. And I was just going, we were going in on it. For I told my mom came back and she's like, so what'd you guys do with the baby all day? And I was like, we bitched about the Patriots which is a father-son tradition that I cannot wait to bring my son into when he's old enough to speak because it's coming. We're going to have three generations of this stuff. So I hated that pick. It doesn't make any sense to me to take a backup quarterback in the fourth round when we have other glaring needs. But overall, I think the reason that I'm okay with the Patriots draft class and a lot of people on like Reddit and a lot of other Patriot fans are not is because we view the team differently This team was never going to make the Super Bowl next year. They're very unlikely to make the playoffs. And I don't think that any combination of players at 21 and 54 was going to change that. I think that we're in probably year two of the rebuild and that we have a lot of needs still. So I don't hate what they did to start, you know, or not to start it, but to keep continuing the rebuild, to get protection for Mac Jones and, a guy in Cole Strange who can kind of swing to different positions along the offensive line. Take a swing on Tyquan Thornton. Like the problem I think people have with the draft class is that they quote unquote reached for these players. But I defy a Patriots fan to tell me why they reached for Cole Strange without using the words Mel Kuyper and ESPN and without telling me where Cole Strange was on your mock or some other mock. Like, prove it to me. Show me Cincinnati's board. Show me that he would have been there at 54 because I don't believe it. And if that's your guy, go get your guys. We talk about this all the time on this podcast. Like, if you like him that much, go get him. Is it what I would have done? No. Would I have preferred to have Daxton Hill and Sky Moore? Yes. And time will tell uh, if Bill Belichick was right on these picks or if I was. But I would probably lean towards Bill Belichick being more correct than me. Because you don't know, I don't know how these guys would fit in New England. They were just my preference. So I, I'm overall okay with it. I think that they have a very set definition of what they want this team to look like, and they're drafting to that. They're kind of they took some guys uh, like late running backs who I think are going to be replacements for guys who are currently on our roster. 
And they seem like they like the linebacking core that's already on the team because they did not touch linebacker at all in this draft. So um, I'm okay with it overall. It's not my favorite class, obviously, but I'm not one of these like idiotic Patriot fans running out there talking about firing Bill. It's just stupid. I, I think you have to, you can't have this lazy analysis of like Mel Kuyper told me they reached or I trust Bill. Like both sides are wrong. But if you're out there saying that Bill is losing his edge and needs to go, then go root for the fucking bucks. Cause we don't want you in New England anymore. So, and honestly, like, how are you going to be upset about taking a player who the back of their Jersey is going to say strange 69. That Jersey will sell out in the new England pro shop. I, I will buy that Jersey. But like, yeah, no, but like so many people, so many Patriots fans were like, add speed. We need to add speed. We look slow and old against the bills, which I agree with. He adds a receiver who runs a sub four, three forty and is six foot three. And you guys want to bitch about that. Cause it's not the guy that you had on your mock draft that you liked. Yeah. He adds corners who, uh, Jack Jones, the second corner he took out of Arizona state mm-hmm. was one of those guys who would have been drafted way higher. If not for off the field issues, Marcus Jones, the corner out of Houston is an absolute baller and is going to be really good as a slot corner for them. He just dropped because he's five, eight and played for a small school. So I, I think there are picks in there that are good. I think there are picks in there that are bad. I think the Bailey Zappi pick is a bad pick and I don't know what they were doing there. I think it's way too high for a backup quarterback. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we were talking about that uh, before recording. It's, it's hard for me to get my high, my head into what he was thinking with that pick. It's entirely possible that he just felt it was really important to have someone who is competent if Matt goes down. Yeah, Howie Roseman in Philadelphia talked about how important it is to have a uh, A and B quarterback yeah. instead of like a starter and a backup. And maybe he just had the fact that Nick Foles whooped his ass in the Super Bowl in his head still. And he's like, we need a backup. We got to have it in case Matt goes down. But I thought there were really good edge prospects there. I thought there were linebacker prospects I like. Um, one fair thing that the Patriots did say, though, is that they see Cameron McGrone as their kind of rookie linebacker draft pick this season. He played linebacker at Michigan. They drafted him last season, but he had a torn ACL. So he kind of like was like a red shirt for them last season. And now they have him coming back as an off ball linebacker. And I think he could be very, very good for them because he was like one of those high caliber five-star prospect guys that Harbaugh got. So I like that. I like Bentley, but I would have liked to use that Bailey Zappi pick on uh, a little bit more beef in the defensive front, some certified beef, if you will. So, but all right, Matt, take us home on a positive note because the Motor City Kitties have a lot to be excited about, including drafting a couple guys I really liked. So if you've been listening to us, it probably has not been lost on you that uh, I have been a big Malik Willis guy. And I like I will still go down with that ship. Um, uh, but he's not a lion. And am I upset that they didn't take him at number two? No, because my number one player in the entire draft, Aiden Hutchinson, was there. And that's exactly who I would have taken. And yeah, we knew they were going to take Hutch if he was available oh, too. Yeah, like yeah. it was, it was the biggest slam dunk of the draft. I mean, that's exactly what I would have done in that situation. We have talked about the whole Hutchinson versus Thibodeau thing, and 
you know, the perceived higher upside that Thibodeau has. I think we got the higher upside player. I think he's going to work harder than just about anyone else at his position in the league to get better. Uh, This is not a shot at Thibodeau. I think that he probably works very hard, but I think it's concerning that he busts onto the scene as a rookie and quite frankly, just didn't seem to get much better from there. I'm not sure really what that says, but I think we know how the Lions felt about him compared to Hutchinson. So I'm really, really happy to have a potentially like top of the line pass rusher on this team going forward. When the Lions traded up to 12, I was almost certain it was going to be Malik Willis. I, uh, that was a wild ride for me. Uh, however, I think you and the rest of the NFL too, because I, I know I don't think anybody in the building was expecting Jamison Williams. I did not expect that. I'm not sad about it. Uh, if we're going to ride this year out with Jared Goff, we need to give him every opportunity to succeed. The injury, you know, at the end of the year, obviously it's not ideal, but we talked about his game-breaking speed. Uh, he's not small at wide receiver, which I think is, is a big plus. And I think he just offers so much in terms of yards after catch that he's going to fit really well with this team. I think he's going to open a lot of things up for Alan Ross Hay Brown. He's going to have help from DJ Chark if he can stay healthy. Uh, Josh Reynolds as your number three or four receiver is I'm not upset about that either. Khalif Raymond's still there too. Yeah. Like Khalif. He's like you know, like you're five or six wide receiver. Uh, so I, I have no complaints with that pick whatsoever. Josh Pascal was a guy that I expected to go in the back half of the first round. Very, very good defensive lineman. He can play outside. He can play inside. Um, he and Aiden Hutchinson are two of the top four run defenders at defensive line in that draft. And, I know a lot of NFL fans say that like stopping the run isn't nearly as important as it used to be now. And to that, I say bullshit because if you can have defensive linemen that are rushing the passer, but can also stop the run, you know, you don't have to have on the field linebackers. And if you are going to be one of the better defensive units in the league, you're not playing a lot of linebackers. Your base defense probably has two linebackers on the field. So I, I, I think Josh fits that plan perfectly. I'm really excited about that pick. Uh, by the third round, the safeties that I was really excited about were kind of off the board. And then I saw us draft Kirby Joseph, who I liked. Uh, but hadn't spent enough time really looking at him. But now that I've spent more time, I think this is a steal. (laughs) He's very athletic. He 
gives us another safety that can play deep middle if we need to, uh, which allows Tracy Walker to kind of do more of that. Like uh, I'm going to cover the tight end and in the back or what's off the edge type of stuff because he's himself a very versatile safety who can do a lot of things. We helped ourselves in a lot of areas. And those were like edge receiver and safety outside of quarterback were like the main areas that I wanted us to hit. We got, we got a tight end in James Mitchell that I think could potentially be a tight end too going forward. You know, God knows if uh, Hawkinson goes down, we didn't have much else there. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, I really like that pick, like really quick and instinctive linebacker, a little bit undersized, but we got beef on up front. So certified beef, if you will. It has to be said. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go into, you know, the last couple of picks because, you know, those are more like really situational, probably special teams players type of situation. But I don't have any real complaints about any of the picks that were made. My only concern about this team is what is the plan at quarterback long term? It seems to me that the plan right now is Jared Goff. Obviously, that could change. It's hard to move from Matthew Stafford for 12 years to Jared Goff. I get that. I did want to add one thing to the list of prospects you were talking about that they got. They signed uh, Khalil Pimpleton from Central Michigan as an undrafted free agent. He, yeah, as someone who watched him torch their favorite team in college last year, Western Michigan, yeah. Uh, even if it's just as a returner, he's dangerous in the punt and kick return game. So I think that's a good signing. The Lions, more than any other team, are going to give their undrafted free agents a legitimate shot to make the team and actually like play a significant role. Jerry Jacobs was an undrafted free agent last year and wound up like earned himself a starting cornerback job. Uh, same with AJ Parker. Uh, he was our slot corner last year. Both of them actually played legitimately well. So yeah, so he's got a shot. <laughs> I like that signing and I like the class as a whole. I think the concern with the Lions is that like you kind of hit the nail on the head is that at least offensively, they're handing an 18-year-old the keys to a Ferrari in a way. Like Jared Goff is going to be surrounded by a very, very good situation, if not next year, the year following, kind of depending on when Jamison Williams comes back. Yeah. But I mean, offensively, very good offensive line. Yeah. Probably top 10 in the NFL, if not higher. Jamison Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, DJ Chark, TJ Hawkinson, like great pass catching core, especially with how highly we both think of Jamison Williams. And then Swift and Williams, Swift and Jamal Williams in the Mm -hmm. backfield. So to have, if I'm being generous, a middle, somewhere between like 15 and 20, probably quarterback in the league. I I think that's probably an accurate assumption of where he is. Yeah. He's finished the season very strong. Yes. He can play better than that, but just as like a complete package. And it's, it's not like necessarily just a diss either, just because there are so many good quarterbacks in the league. Right. Like if you really sit down and, think about who you would take ahead of him. Like 
there are very good guys. Yes, for sure. I just worry that like, I don't want them to get stuck on the cycle of mediocrity because they believe in golf. Yeah. And that was kind of my takeaway from this draft is that Brad Holmes was in LA when they drafted golf. Mm-hmm. And when they brought him over in the Stafford trade, he said, he is not a throw in. We wanted him because we believe in him. Yeah. And I think that this draft supported that because they're putting stuff in place around him to make it yeah. a better situation. So I, I don't want them to, you know, go six and 11 or seven and whatever yeah. and have middle picks for the rest of forever because Garrett, Jared Goff's holding them back. Right. And then you never get the quarterback that puts you over the edge to being a Super Bowl contending and Super Bowl winning team. Yeah. I will say though, if it doesn't work out with golf, whatever quarterback you bring in next is going to come into a very cushy situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least offensively, they do need to build the defense up a little bit more still in my opinion, but you can only do so much in a draft and they started, well, they got a good start. Yeah. So they, they, they did a lot for that this year. We're getting back some players from injury that will help at linebacker. Uh, the Lions wanted Jared Davis last year and he left because of the trauma of playing for Matt Patricia. Uh, however, I think that Jared Davis is going to be significantly better here now playing to his strengths as opposed to being forced to play Mike linebacker when he is clearly just a heat-seeking missile that you need to say, hey, run and hit. Yeah. One last comment. Uh, Cause you brought up Matt Patricia. <laughs> I will say that when I was looking at the Patriots draft class and kind of thinking that we've reached for some guys and we made some picks I didn't love. And then they showed the Patriots draft room and Matt Patricia was in it. I was like, God damn it. So I need to buy over again. I knew it. I knew he had too much say in this organization. And that scares me going forward. So, but that is it for us. As always, Foul Out can be found on Spotify, Apple podcast, pocket cast, overcast, anywhere you get your podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at Fouled Out Sports, and you can find Matt on Twitter at Matador underscore defense. And you can find our videos on TikTok at Fouled Out Podcast. Uh, really enjoyed the draft. Kind of sad that it's over the last five weeks of podcasts. There's a lot of studying, a lot of buildup. So uh, we hope you guys enjoyed that and then enjoyed the recap. We will be back in some capacity next week, likely tackling, uh, catching up on the NBA playoffs and maybe a little bit more NFL offseason stuff. We're going we're gonna to figure out what that looks like going forward. But we will be back here, same place, same time next week. So, For sure. But, all right. I, we will see you guys soon. Bye, guys. Bye, Robert. Bye, Mom. <laughs>